0: I've been meaning to get to this topic for a while for our intro, as this article was written February 20th. But we've had so many good other topics that we've had to talk about that I thought this one could lay low and nobody would still know about it. So Yeah,
1: ones that were from way longer before that.
0: I know, it's not old enough now. We've got to let it ripen <laughs> for a couple generations. It really
1: does. It
0: to This article was released on February 20th. It was a collaborative journalist story between international newspapers i chose to kind of follow the guardian papers one so this was published in the guardian february 20th it's called revealed credit swiss leak unmasks criminals fraudsters and corrupt politicians so we have once again another banking document leak
1: recent i've never even heard of it
0: yeah well it came out about two weeks ago now as we're recording this um it was an absolutely massive story um Not in sheer of like impact on society so far, more so in length, because I cut it down to what I thought was important, and it gave me six pages of notes to go over.
1: So it came out and people were like, wow, that's a long article.
0: I'm not going to read it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. But don't worry, I read some parts of it and decided (laughs) it were good enough to share. (laughs) So I'm going to share with you guys what I thought were the good parts of this story. Okay. And those of you that know me in real life will understand why that's funny. Anyhow. Let us have it. A massive leak from one of the world's biggest private banks, Credit Suisse, has exposed the hidden wealth of clients involved in torture, drug trafficking, money laundering, corruption, and other serious crimes. Details of accounts linked to 30,000 Credit Suisse clients all over the world are contained in the leak, which unmasks the beneficiaries of more than 100 billion Swiss Francs or 80 billion pounds. And it being the UK, that's what they're using.
1: Is Credit Swiss a bank account?
0: No, Credit Swiss is a Swiss banking company. Banking it's a Swiss bank. Right. Yeah.
1: Okay. Had to ask
0: about 100 billion US dollars, held in one of Switzerland's best-known financial institutions. The leak points to widespread failures of due diligence by Credit Suisse. Despite repeated pledges over decades to weed out dubious client and illicit funds, The Guardian is part of a consortium of media outlets given exclusive access to the data. The huge trove of banking data was leaked by an anonymous whistleblower to the German newspaper Süddeutsche Zeitung, and they stated this. I believe that Swiss banking secrecy laws are immoral. The pretext of protecting financial privacy is
1: merely a fig leaf covering the shameful role of Swiss banks as collaborators of tax evaders.
0: So that's why they leaked it. Nobody knows who it was at this point. Credit Suisse said that Switzerland's strict banking secrecy laws prevented it from commenting on claims relating to individual clients. And this is their statement. Credit Suisse strongly rejects the allegations and inferences about the bank's purported business practices, the bank said in a statement, arguing that the matters uncovered by reporters are based on selective information taken out of context resulting in tendentious interpretations of the bank's business conduct. Oh, big words. Yeah, the Swiss really pull out the big complicated <laughs> words to confuse people into what's happening. The bank also said that the allegations were largely historical, in some instances dating back to a time when, quote, laws, practices, and expectations of financial institutions were very different from what they are now, unquote. While some accounts in the data were opened as far back as the 1940s, more than two-thirds were open since 2000. Many of those were still open well into the last decade, and a portion remain open today. Of these 30,000 accounts that were leaked to the newspapers, 2,000 plus were from Venezuela, and 2,000 plus were from Egypt, 1,000 plus were from Ukraine, and 1,000 plus were from Thailand.
1: Interesting stats
0: and actually looking at it all like most of the first world wasn't leaked at all It's basically areas of the world where you know Corruptions going on well They need to be able to put their money in a bank because you don't just want to hold cash on hand Especially if you're stealing it from people below you rule
1: number one Uh,
0: You want it in a different style of money so that Mm -hmm. you can use it worldwide Basically, it's the second and third world that all this took place in I'm just gonna go over a few of the people They chose to identify that were leaked in this
1: anyone we know
0: no but they're interesting stories nonetheless okay first is helen revilla which is an attorney convicted in 1992 of helping launder money on behalf of ferdinand marcos who was the dictator of the Philippines at the time. Despite this, she was able to open a Swiss bank account in 2000, as was her husband, Antonio, who faced similar charges that were subsequently dropped. It is hard to know how Credit Suisse could have missed the money laundering case linking the couple to the corrupt Philippine leader, which was reported by the Associated Press. The couple who could not be reached for comment were able to hold about £3.6 million with the bank before their accounts were closed in 2006. Another one, Ronald Lee Fook Shiu's career was ended in disgrace in 1990 in Hong Kong, where he was convicted of taking bribes in exchange for listing companies on the stock exchange. A decade later, Lee was nonetheless able to open an account that later held 26.3 million pounds, according to the leak. Also included is Pavlo Lazarenko, which is a name you might know, who served as a corrupt single-year prime minister of Ukraine from 1997 to 1998 before applying for an account at Credit Suisse. 1 month after pressure from rivals forced Lazarenko to announce his resignation, he opened his first of two credit Swiss accounts, one was later valued at almost 3.6 million pounds. Lazarenko was later estimated by Transparency International to have looted 200 million dollars from Ukrainian government, allegedly by threatening to harm business unless they paid him 50% of their profits. He pleaded guilty to money laundering in Switzerland in 2000 and was later indicted in the US for corruption and sentenced to 9 years in prison in 2006 in relation to bribes received from a Ukrainian businessman. His lawyer said those convictions did not relate to the theft of money from the people of Ukraine. Lazarenko, who reportedly lives in California, has resisted returning to the country where he still faces accusations he stole $17 million. His lawyer said his Credit Suisse account had not been accessed for two decades and were frozen in connection to the court proceedings against him. It does remain unclear why Credit Suisse allowed Lazarenko to open and deposit such huge sums in the first place, given his background. Before entering politics, Lazarenko was a functionary in charge of a farming collective.
1: Would they just Google people though like that and be like, oh, here you are here?
0: We're going to get to the actual standards that are supposed to be in place. Credit Suisse also appears to have made inroads into the Egyptian political establishment under the dictator Hosni Mubarak, who was president for three decades until 2011. That was the Arab Spring where he got ousted. The bank's clients included Mubarak's sons, Allah and Gamal, who established business empires in Egypt. The brothers' relationships with the bank spanned decades, with the earliest joint account opened by the brothers in 1993. By 2010, the year before the popular revolt that ousted his father, an account belonging to Allah held 138 million pounds. After the Arab Spring uprisings, their fortunes changed, and in 2015, the brothers and their father were sentenced to three years in jail by an Egyptian court of embezzlement and corruption. They say the case was politically motivated, but after an unsuccessful appeal, Allah and Gamal paid an estimated $17.6 million to the Egyptian government in a settlement agreement that made no admissions of guilt. Lawyers for the brothers reject any suggestions that they were corrupt, saying their rights were violated during the Egyptian case, and 10 years of wide-ranging and intrusive investigations into their global assets by foreign authorities has not uncovered any legal violations. They said that their Swiss bank accounts had been frozen for over a decade pending the resolution of an investigation by the Swiss authorities. Also included, just to give you a bit of a summary, was a billionaire who ordered the murder of his Lebanese pop star girlfriend, dozens of executives who looted Venezuela's state oil companies, and one Vatican bank account that was used to spend 350 million euros in an allegedly fraudulent investment investment in London property that is at the center of an ongoing criminal trial of several defendants, including a cardinal.
1: What?
0: It's not anything that's ongoing, unfortunately, like most of these are settled things, but it's just crazy the people they got involved with.
1: So is this a bank that only wants to deal with people who are corrupt?
0: You would think, but it's just kind of at least up until about 20 years ago, Switzerland was just like the no questions asked. If you have money, we'll take it because we're a neutral authority. Mm hmm. And you always know like Switzerland's the neutral place, right? Like they don't take sides. That's important because if you're investing in a country or you're putting your money there, you want to know that it's a politically stable thing where no matter what your country does, your money's fine. And no matter what you do, your money's fine. And up until the last two decades it really did roll that way. But there have been political pushes on Switzerland to change its practices and they are slowly coming about to our end.
1: Yeah. It also brings up questions though, if you're like, yeah, come here, corrupt or non-corrupt, we will
0: Well, you don't ask your money. (laughs) Yeah. That was what neutrality really meant if you looked into the word.
1: Yeah. I do know what neutral means.
0: One former Credit Suisse employee at the time alleges there was a deeply ingrained culture in Swiss banking of looking the other way when it came to problematic clients. Quote, the bank's compliance departments were masters of plausible deniability. Unquote. They told a reporter from the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, one of the coordinators of the Swiss Secrets Project, quote, Never write anything down that could expose an account that is non-compliant and never ask a question you do not want to know the answer to, unquote. By adopting the so-called common reporting standards for sharing tax data, Switzerland in effect agreed that its banks would in the future exchange information on their clients with tax authorities in foreign countries. They started doing this in 2018. In theory, membership of the global exchange system is often cited by Switzerland's banking industries as a turning point. There's no longer Swiss bank client confidentiality for clients abroad. Swiss bankers association told the Guardian, we are transparent. There is nothing to hide in Switzerland. Switzerland's almost 90 year old banking secrecy law, however, remains in force and was recently broadened. The Tax Justice Network estimates that countries around the world collectively lose about $21 billion each year in tax revenues because of Switzerland. Many of those countries will be poorer nations that have not signed up to the CRS data exchange. Like every other bank in the world, Credit Suisse professes to have stringent control mechanisms to carry out extensive due diligence on its customers to ensure that the highest standards of conduct are upheld. In banking parlance, such controls are also called... KYC checks or know your clients. In 2017, a leaked report commissioned by Switzerland's financial regulators shed some light on the bank's internal procedures at that time. Clients would face intensified scrutiny when flagged as politically exposed persons from a high risk country or a person involved in a high risk activity such as gambling, weapons trading, financial services, or mining, the report said. Relationship managers were expected to use external sources to verify customers and their risk levels, according to the leak, including news articles or databases such as the Thomson Reuters World Check Platform, which is used in the financial services sector to flag when people are arrested, charged, investigated, or convicted of a serious crime. Due diligence is not only for new clients, banks are required to continually reassess existing customers. The 2017 report said credits with screen customers at least every three years, and as often as once a year for the riskiest clients lawyers for the credit swiss told the guardian these periodic reviews were introduced more than 15 years ago meaning it was continually running due diligence on existing clients from 2017. the bank might therefore have been expected to have discovered that its german client edward sadel was convicted of bribery in 2008. sadel was an employee of siemens as the multinational's lead in nigeria he oversaw a campaign of industrial scale bribery to secure lucrative contracts for his employer by funneling cash to corrupt Nigerian politicians, his account was still open at the end of the investigation <laughs> just another show that we know this is going on and really it's just not gonna stop
1: it's not there's so many things in this world that just we know what's happening and nobody's happy about it but like nobody's doing anything about it
0: yeah and i think at the end of the day a lot of people also expect just with our system in place it's the only system that they can really fathom so it's really just they see some people acting badly and they think oh it's just a bad person when really it's an entire system that's set up poor yeah that needs to be reworked but the people that are actually responsible for changing the system don't want it to be changed so no which is
1: why it's set up. up like that
0: chelsea anything to add before we get on to the main topic at hand
1: i can't say i do
0: okay with that let's get on to the feature show from the unexplained to the mundane come join us on a journey to the fringe Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe. Somehow we are not the pessimistic news compared to the mainstream information coming out these days. I consider that a win somehow.
1: I guess so. We don't go out to be pessimistic. It just ends up that way.
0: It does, but man, did the main news just take a turn. Thankfully, that is not our job, to cover broad-reaching topics that everybody knows about. Instead, we're going to talk about fringe topics that are less pessimistic.
1: The fringiest.
0: The fringiest and the brightest. Mm-hmm. And today, we thought we would focus on a little historical character that pops up every now and then and would really be considered a mania of the time, uh, Victorian-era London. Charles, would you call him a cryptid?
1: I don't know that i consider him a cryptid.
0: I know. That's what I was thinking, too. But I also don't know what the correct term would be. But I think we can talk about that at the end. I think
1: least. that he's like, it depends on who you ask. Some people say urban legend. Some people say ghost, paranormal creature. Some people do say cryptid.
0: Yeah, I think at least for right now, I think the best word to describe it is a mania. Because yeah, it is really something that the sure newspapers mania. pick up. So without further ado, we are going to be talking about the media darling from the 1800s known as Spring-Heeled Jack. We're going to talk about his origins, we are going to talk about the sightings that took place, and then we're going to move on and see if there's anything going on outside of the UK. And kind of really wrap up, I think, with kind of what the hell was this guy?
1: Definitive answers, you mean? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Without further ado, I think I'm going to start this part off by answering the question, what the hell was this guy? talking about what he looked like. Descriptions of Springheeled Jack vary greatly depending on really who was seeing him or who you would talk to at the time but the main characteristics that most people agree on were that he had a goatee, pointed ears, possibly horns, and flashing fiery red eyes. Illustrations popular at the time when we're talking about in magazines such as one called Penny Dreadful show him as a kind of Hispanic version of the devil. The one feature that never varies between any of the individuals that witness him is his ability to jump extreme heights or to leap over rooftops and across hedges that would just be not reachable by other people. Such agility always allowed him to terrify his victims and to escape his pursuers. Now, for the most part, this is a non-aggressive being. He definitely assaults people, but he does not severely injure anybody. And he doesn't kill anybody from what I was seeing.
1: He's not like assaulting, assaulting.
0: Yes. Okay. Just kind of like slap assault. (laughs) <laughs> Which, I'm sorry, is still assault. <laughs> sorry, I'm judging him based on a cryptid assault. Or a creature assault, okay? Okay. That makes sense, right? Do <laughs> you get what I'm saying, right?
1: Yeah. So it's okay. not really an assault.
0: <laughs> yeah. Good. <laughs> Up until the 1800s in the UK, this guy doesn't exist. Springheel Jack is just not words that would be put together because they're just crazy. Who puts those three words together? Nobody. That's who. It's true. There's a bit of contention on which actually happens first, but there's kind of two events that kind of take place around the same time. They're in October of 1837. First one's by a girl by the name of Mary Stevens, who is walking... To Lavender Hill in London, where she was working as a servant after visiting her parents in Battersea. On her way through Ch- Clapham, Clapham, I'm just trying to think, PH is a F sound. Clapham or Clapham? Clapham. Okay. On her way through Clapham Common, I-, I like Clapham better.
1: Okay, we have to pronounce the English at least,
0: right? <laughs> no way, that's not English. <laughs> Anyhow, on her way through Clapham Common, a strange figure leapt at her from a dark alley. After immobilizing her with a tight grip of her wrist, he began to kiss her face while ripping her clothes and touching her flesh with his claws, which were, according to her deposition, cold and clammy as those of a corpse. In a panic, the girl screamed, making the attacker quickly flee from the scene. The commotion brought several residents who immediately launched a search for the aggressor, but it could not be found. The next day, the leaping character is said to have chosen In a very different victim near Mary Stevens' home, inaugurating a method that would reappear in later reports. He jumped in the way of a passing carriage, causing the coachman to lose control, crash and severely injure himself. Several witnesses claimed that he escaped by jumping over a 9-foot high wall while cackling with a high-pitched ringing laughter. I feel like I may have misdescribed him in the beginning of being light-hearted. I definitely meant it more so that he doesn't seem to like want to injure anybody, but I may have also lied right there. You
1: know who I'm picturing right now for Spring-Heeled Jack at the moment? Who's that? A nightmare.
0: That makes sense. (laughs) Ha,
1: ha, ha, ha. I'm drawing some similarities. Maybe it's
0: just me. Okay. So that is widely considered to be the first Spring Jack sighting that ever took place, October 1837. There is also a much vaguer story from that time about a businessman returning home late one night from work. And he told of being suddenly shocked as a mysterious figure jumped with ease over a considerably high railing of a cemetery, landing right in his path. No attack was reported, but he submitted the description of a disturbing character, a muscular man with devilish features such as large pointed ears and nose and protruding glowing eyes creepy. Yeah. Now, not a lot happens for a few months, but in January 9th of 1838, the Lord Mayor of London, Sir John Cohen, revealed at a public session held in the Mansion House an anonymous complaint that he had received several days earlier, which he had withheld in the hopes of obtaining further information. The correspondent who signed the letter was a resident of Peckham, and they wrote, it appears that some individuals of, as the writer believes, the highest ranks of life, have laid a Asia with a mischievous and full hardy companion. Man, my English accent sucks. It is definitely just transatlantic. That he does not take upon himself the take of visiting many of the villages near London in three different disguises, a ghost, a bear, and a devil, and moreover, that he will not enter a gentleman's gardens for the purposes of alarming the inmates of the house. The wager has, however, been accepted, and the unmanly villain has succeeded in depriving seven ladies of their senses, two of whom are not likely to recover, but to become burdens on their families. At one house, The man rang the bell, and on the servant coming to open the door, this worse-than-brute stood in no less dreadful figure than a spectre clad most perfectly. The consequence was that the poor girl immediately swooned, and was never from that moment been in her senses." (laughs) I don't picture swooning being like that, I'm sorry. (laughs) The affair has now been going on for some time, and strange to say, the papers are silent still on the subject. The writer has reason to believe that they have the whole history at their fingers' ends, but through interested motives are induced to remain silent. Though the Lord Mayor seemed fairly skeptical, a member of the audience confirmed, Servant girls about Kensington Hammersmith and Ealing tell dreadful stories of this ghost or devil. And that's kind of where it starts. You you see within London that it's kind of picking up momentum and it's not just happening one-offs. Like most people have passerby stories of it at this
1: point. Yeah, it's so weird those two people sounded exactly the same.
0: (laughs) I think he might've submitted that actually. (laughs) This all comes to a head when two cases kind of come up about the same time in February of 1838. A woman by the name of Jane Alsop reported that on the night of February 19th, 1838, she answered the door of her father's house to a man claiming to be a police officer, who told her to bring a light, claiming we have caught Springheel Jack here in the lane. She brought the person a candle and noticed that he wore a large cloak. The moment she had handed him the candle, however, he threw off the cloak and presented a most hideous and frightful appearance. He vomited blue and white flames from his mouth, while his eyes resembled red fireballs.
1: He vomited the flame? Yeah. Yikes.
0: Miss Allop reported that he wore a large helmet and that his clothing, which appeared to be very tight-fitting, resembled white oil skin. Without saying a word, he caught hold of her and began tearing her gown with his claws, which she was certain were of some metallic substance. Her, his claws, not her dress. I assume, sorry. She screamed for help and managed to get away from him and ran towards the house. He caught her on the steps and tore her neck and arms with the claws. She was rescued by one of her sisters, after which her assailant fled. And there's, of course, right after this, what is known as Scales' case. It's on February 28, 1838, nine days after the attack on Miss Alsa. 18 year old Lucy Scales and her sister were returning home after visiting their brother, a butcher who lived in a respectable part of Limehouse. Miss Scales stated in her deposition to the police that as she and her sister were passing along Green Dragon Alley, they observed a person standing in an angle of the passage. She was walking in front of her sister at the time, and just as she came up to the person who was wearing a large cloak, he spurted a quantity of blue flame in her face, which deprived her of sight and so alarmed her that she instantly dropped to the ground and was seized with violent fits which continued for several hours. Her brother added that on the evening in question, he had heard the loud screams of one of his sisters moments after they had left his house, and on running up Green Dragon Alley, he found his sister Lucy on the ground in a fit, with her sister attempting to hold and support her. She was taken home, and he then learned from his other sister what had happened. She described Lucy's assailant as being a tall, thin, and gentlemanly appearance covered in a large cloak and carrying a small lamp or bullseye lantern similar to those used by police. The individual did not speak nor did he try to lay hands on them but instead walked quickly away. Every effort was made by the police to discover the author of these and similar outrages and several persons were questioned but were set free. It doesn't come up all the time but I find it intriguing that both of the cases that are like fairly big in 1838 involved flame spewing from his mouth.
1: Yeah and throwing up. That's a weird thing to say about flames.
0: I mean maybe it was more common at the time. People probably threw up a lot more in the eighteen hundreds. Maybe they did. What with diseases and all.
1: Yeah, true. And he seemed very gentlemanly though.
0: I mean apart from like attacking people with his claws and vomiting flames in their face. Yeah, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Otherwise, very gentlemanly.
0: Yeah, the media frenzy extended. There was a story in the April 14th, 1838 edition of the Times, which wrote that Springheel Jack has, it seems, found his way to Sussex Coast, even though the report bore little resemblance to other accounts of Jack. The incident occurred on April 13th of 1838, when it appeared to a gardener in the shape of a bear or some other four-footed animal, having attracted the gardener's attention by a growl, that climbed the garden wall and ran along it on all fours for jumping down and chasing the gardener for some time. After terrifying the gardener, the apparition scaled the wall and made its exit. Now, I don't think that story sounds at all like a Springheel Jack story.
1: I was just gonna say.
0: Yeah, I don't know why it got included, but I think it does kind of show that there was a real mania about uh Springheel Jack at this time, so really anything unexplained.
1: Yeah, who even knows what that was, but Springheel Jack.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately we'll never know because it just got lumped in with Springheel Jack.
1: Nobody investigated at the time.
0: No. Could be the great bears of London.
1: Yeah.
0: Migrating to Sussex. Exactly. But uh no, just Springheel Jack now, unfortunately. And yeah, you see these a lot with what are considered manias is there'll be a, one or two sightings right at the beginning and then a lot that kind of fit the description. And I feel like it's people that have read the stories are trying to make them match the story more so than necessarily trying to remember correctly. And that's it's just not kind even of how necessarily memory
1: match them it's just yeah this weird thing happened to me and that's definitely what it was because they're looking for an explanation yeah that's all they got
0: after this happens 1838 it goes a while without sightings but after these incidences spring jack became one of the most popular characters of the period his alleged exploits were reported in the newspapers and became the subject of several penny dreadfuls which are like penny comics that you can buy that are just easy to read comics basically of their day and plays were performed in the cheap theaters that a bad at the time. The devil was even renamed Springheel Jack in some Punch and Judy shows, as recounted by Henry Mayhem in his London Labour and The London Poor. Before that, it was just the devil or the demon that they would consider him. This here is Satan. We might say the devil, but that ain't right, and gentle folks don't like such words. He is now commonly called spring Jack, or Rossian Bear, that's since the war. That's a direct line from one of the plays that was going on at the time, that they think kind of right where Spring-Heeled Jack from. Oh. But even as his fame was growing, reports of Springhill Jack's appearances became less frequent, if more widespread. In 1843, however, a wave of sightings swept the country again. A report from Northamptonshire, which I think I actually nailed the pronunciation on there, pretty sure, described him as the very image of the devil himself, with horns and eyes of flame. And in East Anglia, reports of attacks on drivers of mail coaches became common. In July of 1847, a springfield Jack Investigation and in Tagmonth. T- Hanged my... Ah, I got the other one. That's close enough. Devin led to a Captain Finch being convicted of two charges of assault against women, during which he is said to have been disguised in a skin coat, which had the appearance of Bullock's hide, skullcap horns, and mask.
1: What does any of that even mean? I thought
0: Bullock's meant something else, but I don't know for sure that you could make an entire hide out of
1: it. Yeah, and I'm thinking skin coat, and I'm thinking like Leatherface.
0: Yeah, I guess. I don't know.
1: So we're on the same page.
0: Like we're pre-photos at this point, unfortunately. Okay. So you're just going to have to imagine a bullock's hide, everyone. And I am sorry for making you do that. But again, feel better than the mainstream news.
1: Okay, fair
0: enough. The The legend was also linked with the phenomenon known as the Devil's Footprint, which appeared in Devon in February of 1855, which maybe we'll talk about at a different time. Now, during that period that we we're just talking about, here's a few of the things that happened. A play by John Thomas Haynes in 1840 was called Springheel Jack, The Terror of London, which shows him as a brigand who attacks women because his own sweetheart betrayed him. In 1863, play Springheel Jack or The Felon's Wrongs, written by Frederick Hazleton. Springheel Jack, The Terror of London, a petty dreadful published by the New Agents Publishing Company from 1864 to 1867. And Springheel Jack, The Terror of London, a 48 part penny weekly serial published 1878 to 1879 in the Boy Standard, written either by veteran author of dreadfuls, George Augustus Henry Sala wow that's a long name george augustus henry sala or by alfred barrage also charlton lee those are just like the big things he was everywhere at the time there were reports i couldn't confirm it because this is more of a uh, like a dialogue that would happen not something written down but like parents in london at the time wouldn't tell their kids about the boogeyman they'd say like spring jack's gonna jump up and get you mm-hmm. so stay in bed
1: a good
0: tactic. I should take it. So, for a while, there's not a huge amount of sightings, but in 1877 that pops up again. This is known as the Aldershot sighting. In August of 1877, a sentry on duty at the North Camp peered into the darkness. And you know what happens when you peer into the darkness?
1: It comes back. It stares back. It
0: comes and slaps you and jumps away.
1: <laughs> oh no, it assaults you.
0: <laughs> His attention attracted by a peculiar figure advancing towards him. The soldier issued a challenge, which was unheeded and the figure came up beside him and delivered several slaps to his face. (laughs) A guard shot at him with no visible effect. Some sources claim that the soldier may have fired blanks at him, others that he missed or fired warning shots. The strange figure then disappeared in the surrounding darkness, which with astounding bounds. One of the people involved, Lord Ernest Hamilton's 1922 memoir, 40 Years On, mentions the Aldershot appearance of Springhill Jack. However, he kind of gets the dates wrong, saying that it happened in 1879, after his regiment, the 60 Rifles, had moved to Aldershot, and that similar appearances had occurred when the regiment was barracked at Colchester in the winter of 1878. He adds that the panic became so great at Aldershot that sentries were issued ammunition in order to shoot the Night Terror on sight, following which the appearances ceased. Hamilton thought that the appearances were actually pranks carried out by one of the fellow officers, a Lieutenant Alfrey, However, there is no record of Alfre ever being court-martialed for the offenses. Which, I don't know if you could technically court-martial somebody for coming up in the dark and slapping
1: you. I also wonder why they think it was Alfre.
0: I don't know, it ends right there with that. I want to know more about Alfre also. Did he have a pension for slapping?
1: Either that, or like, maybe someone just didn't like him. I'm gonna go with the slapping one, though. It's the most sense
0: it does and they probably also didn't like him because he slapped
1: yeah who would like a slapper
0: also in 1877 there is a sighting in august of that year in lincolnshire Springhill jack was reportedly seen in newport arch in lincoln lincolnshire wearing a sheepskin an angry mob supposedly chased him and cornered him and just as in elder shot a while before, residents fired at him with no effect. As usual, he was said to have made use of his leaping abilities to lose the crowd and disappear once again. And then in Liverpool, by the end of the 19th century, the reported sightings of Springfield Jack were moving towards the northwest of England. Around 1888 in Everton, North Liverpool, he allegedly appeared on the rooftops of St. Francis Xavier's Church in Salisbury Street. And that is where I'm going to leave my part to let Chelsea take over, and then I'm going to talk a bit after that as well.
1: Okay, I guess so. From here, I'm going to take you on a small world tour, and I'm going to try and do it in the best of chronological order as I can. But first, I'm going to start with the last sighting of Big J. What? spring Hill Jack, yeah. Big J in London. Jack has been out and about around England where he's most well known to terrorize, is that what you call it? Assault? Not assault. He's paranormal. Assault doesn't count if you're paranormal. I would call it a bit spring. of the old
0: slappy jump. A yeah. bit of the old slappy jump.
1: Yeah flappy jump for give or take like 67 years at this point so he's defying all odds of aging he's
0: in great shape for his 90s
1: he is in great shape for at least 77 let's say he's been doing this since he was 10 all the while he has been putting on a nice spectacle as well in liverpool specifically on william henry street here the spring-heeled person they keep calling him a man is it because he like kissed a girl
0: i suppose he had the goatee too. So I think that was what was doing it. But he also could just be an evil parallel dimension version of literally anyone. Yeah.
1: Because that's what goes do. There's been no mention of genitalia. We're always interested in the genitalia of things.
0: Nobody um, focuses enough on the <laughs> cryptid genitalia.
1: No, not at all. We should be advocates for that. The genitalia of
0: Free the cryptid genitalia.
1: <laughs> paranormal things. Here, the spring-heeled person was reported leaping across rooftops at night. Sometimes he would jump down onto the streets to scare regular peoples out for stroll just normal shj stuff and these sightings have been reported periodically but jack gets bold in the fall of 1904 and jack appears in broad daylight wearing a mask and a black coat and he or she is leaping across buildings on william henry street very popular for him he likes it he's familiar with it and he's leaping freakishly far in front of dozens of witnesses and this lasts about 10 minutes when at last he takes a last 25 foot leap from the street straight onto the top of a House and he laughs and is never seen again in the united kingdom until much later he does go back that's where he's from
0: he goes on a world tour
1: I yeah think. From there, we're going to take a giant Spring-Heeled Jack leap across the pond to Louisville, Kentucky, and this is where I'm going to break it to you that I started with the last sighting in 1904 and pick it up in 1880 in North America, long before this.
0: Well, he jumped so far, I think he went back in time. Yeah, he
1: went back in time.
0: Superman did it.
1: Spring-Heeled Jack, he reversed the earth. (laughs) Spring-Heeled Jack started to make a name for himself in North America, where he is being described as pretty much the same as in england hence why we still call him spring hill jack and he's described as tall having pointed ears long nose and fingers and was clad in a cape helmet and shiny uniform at least he was safety conscious. I gotta give it to him. He was jumping so high, he just needed a helmet.
0: Yeah, I gotta protect that
1: head.
0: <laughs> yeah. Way ahead of his time.
1: He also accosted women towards their clothing and emitted flames from a blue light on his chest. So that's the first sighting of him in North America, pretty much the same time that this is happening in the United Kingdom. We're gonna jump from Louisville, Kentucky, over to Newfoundland in Canada.
0: Just so you know, it is pronounced Louisville yeah Louisville
1: and I'm pronouncing it with my accent so it's still what I said
0: <laughs> you gotta fatten your mouth up a bit
1: <laughs> we're gonna jump from there Kentucky over to Newfoundland in Canada where Spring Hill Jack makes also a brief appearance in his book published in 1997 Strange and Curious this is Otto Kellen not Spring Hill Jack Spring Hill Jack did not Publish a book as I just made it sound. Otto Kellen did, called Strange and Curious Unusual Newfoundland Stories.
0: I mean, I would read Springhill Jack's book.
1: I would too, probably. And I
0: hope he's at least better at naming than O.J. Simpson with the If I Did It <laughs> title to a book.
1: I would hope that Spring Hill Jack would be better. And he was like, yes, I meant to slap shit out of that person.
0: <laughs> Stories from Spring a jump slapper. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I would have slapped the shit out of him more if I could. Otto Kellen was a constable, and he recounts several incidents which occurred in 1929. Mr. Kellen and other fellow constables were sent out to investigate and capture the Spring-Heel Jack character of Newfoundland, where Spring-Heel put in a surprise athletic appearance in St. John's and was seen jumping from rooftop to rooftop on Merry Meeting Road. Kellen does not have an encounter experience himself. However, he did interview horrified victims and one of his colleagues after the encounter. There's also a famous local legend in Newfoundland about Ned Barrett, who beat Spring-Heel Jack in a jumping competition. Who just kind of showed up to jump. And then Spring Hill Jack was like, I'm going to beat you. And then Ned was like, No, you're not. And then he did. And he's like a local hero now. So
0: it was really a devil went down to Georgia situation in that story.
1: Pretty much, yeah.
0: Where Ned was just jumping and Spring Hill Jack showed up and he's like, Dude, I can jump you.
1: He's yeah, like, that's... No way.
0: I can jump better than anyone in the land.
1: Exactly. He's Spring Hill Jack and his confidence was up there because no one could outbeat but, him until that time.
0: Fuck, what did he win in solid gold?
1: Spring Hill Jack?
0: No, Ned, who beat him.
1: I don't think he won a whole lot in Snoopin' Land. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it was a full Mickey a Screech.
1: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's racist. It's that's Anyhow. Okay.
1: Spring Hill Jack just kind of shows up. <laughs> he had nothing better to do that day and someone said they're going to win a jumping competition and Spring Hill Jack was like, fuck no, I'm going to slap the shit out of this guy but there's no slapping in this instance. There's just jumping and Spring Hill Jack lost. No one was afraid and he didn't breathe fire but they swear it was the same guy, Spring Hill Jack. Anyhow, Ned is a legend. More than you'll ever hear about Spring Hill Jack in Newfoundland. So anyway, Wait, Is Ned still alive? No, Ned died in a fishing accident. Yeah, there's long. <laughs> there was a very long story about this, and I'm sorry, but I- I'm talking about Spring Hill Jack. I didn't want to hear about how he just showed up to a jumping competition. Springhill Jack and Ned. Like we're taking away from his mystique by saying that he got beat by Ned in Newfoundland. I'm sorry. <laughs> So I just kind of glossed over that and now <laughs> let's forget about Newfoundland and we're going to head over to somewhere else. Let me read this. We're fast forwarding to fall 1938 and that's like 34 years after the last sighting and more than 100 years after Jack's first sighting and a strange Spring-Heeled type figure pops up in the Cape Cod area in Provincetown, Massachusetts. I hate that word. Massachusetts. Massachusetts.
0: Massachusetts.
1: Okay. Okay. <laughs> I can't believe they stuck us in Massachusetts. And although here the media is calling him Black Flash, like Springheel Jack, Black Flash loved a black cape, and he also loved breathing fire. Breathing fire, not vomiting fire.
0: Okay, so it never's quite the same description though, because it was vomiting fire, then it was fire protruding from his chest, and then it was breathing fire.
1: Yeah, this one's breathing fire for sure. Is it
0: always blue though?
1: I believe it's blue here. We're gonna have to find out.
0: <laughs> I also really like the fact that they call him Black Flash, yeah. because that at least allows me to call him Jumpin' Jack Flash.
1: Oh, good one.
0: For uh, title purposes.
1: Maybe that's yeah. where it came from.
0: 30 years before the Rolling Stones were formed. <laughs>
1: Yeah, maybe that's where it came from. The first sighting all begins in 1938 with a group of kids who come home and reported a terrifying encounter to their parents of something big that growled at them and was all black. Then a report comes a short time later from a Provincetown resident that ran into a huge black thing with glowing blue eyes, silver ears, and took off with an incredible leap. Another similar encounter with a person-like being described as black, all black, with eyes like balls of flame. And he was big, real big, maybe eight feet tall. He made a sound, a loud buzzing sound, like a June bug on a hot day, only louder. And he disappeared like a flash. So in this one I come to believe that he was a robot. <laughs> Not sure why he was buzzing.
0: It plays into a theory of mine that we'll talk about at the end as well.
1: Okay well then let's just remember that that's my theory i don't know why else he would be and outside
0: of that nobody has actually reported hearing him say well no that's not true that one person did hear him say things what did he say we have captured spring jack get a candle
1: oh right i was like no somebody else said that about him and then i was gonna speculate that maybe he said i'm gonna slap the shit out of you okay (laughs) and
0: then beat you in a jump competition
1: Another witness in Provincetown recounts running into Black Flash himself, and he spit blue flames into his face. I wish I had that power. What a power. dick. I wish I had that power.
0: If you actually had that power, nobody could report you for it. Why? Like, can you imagine that? I don't know who you report to. The police? Your boss? I don't know. But like, Chelsea just spit flames in my face, and it, you'd be like-
1: No, I didn't. What the wrong with this guy?
0: That's just the set answer to that, is humans can't, so Chelsea yes. did. <laughs> unless. Like no, it kept no. happening multiple times.
1: I would like never.
0: the 15th person that complains about <laughs> Chelsea spitting flames in their face. Maybe then they do investigate, but up until then, I think you're safe.
1: And then they open my mouth, and then there's just like flame shooter in my mouth. <laughs> then I'm busted. <laughs> A reporter in 1939 from Provincetown Advocate claims Black Flash was spotted jumping over 10 foot hedges explanation springs on feet obviously i think it goes without saying at this point but i'll say it anyway we're dealing with the time as taylor had mentioned that the newspapers which is the only media at the time picks these stories up and has a heyday and then all of a sudden tons of sightings are happening. They just go up ex- exponentially once they get a few sightings and report them in the newspaper. Between 1938 and 1945, Black Flash is frightening people all over Provincetown pretty much exclusively, only in the fall and winter, so that he wouldn't want to affect the tourists coming in the summer. And also, he never hurts anyone, which is something Taylor said, except for all that slapping and kissing.
0: And clothes ripping, too. Yeah. And also flames to the face.
1: Yeah, and jumping in front of people and speaking. But generally, a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> gentlemen some might say (laughs) so while all of the black flash fever is happening in provincetown back in europe the person of springed heels simultaneously moved east of london and ended up also in prague in the czech republic which is czechoslovakia at the time and this is pretty much during the same dates which would be about 1939 to 1945 and this is during the german occupation of czechoslovakia in the midst of world war ii in the czech republic he goes by perak i'm not sure if that's how you say it but it just makes sense to me this way which translates to the springer and he was said to leap out from shadowy alleys and startled passers-by and if you're wondering the leaps weren't just regular person leaps like you or i are capable of because we're capable of some pretty sweet or leaps.
0: yeah it's more on the levels of ned
1: yeah these leaps were on extraordinary magnitude and that included jumping over train carriages Karak is a folklore hero in czech republic and has starred in several animated superhero cartoons fighting the ss and gaining his notability for seemingly being unshootable then Springheel jack disappears from provincetown in the czech republic and reappears again in houston texas in 1953 where three residents saw what they thought was a man walking across their backyard he was wearing tight black clothing and have what appeared to them to be wings on his back. The figure leapt high into a tall tree, dropped back down and leapt off into the darkness. The strange creature with the pointed ears, red glowing eyes, tight black suit, and leaps great heights and distances has continued to appear. This one actually reminds me a lot of the Mothman.
0: Yeah, and I think it is always hard to kind of separate out cryptids as to what they did. Uncomfortable Truce is back. Hi, Uncomfortable Truce. Hello. Yes, Ned truly had serious levels of leap. Rumor has it he didn't actually die, he just leapt into heaven one day.
1: (laughs) I like that. That's a nice thought. I want that on my tombstone. Okay, sightings of spring Jack have been reported as well in Sydney, North Carolina in 1973 and Plano, Texas in 1979. In Sydney, North Carolina, a family reported a gaunt, long-haired man with pointed ears and glowing red eyes, taking leaps that they estimated to be fifty or sixty feet. He's really letting himself go at this point. He has long hair, not taking care of himself. Although gaunt. Is gaunt what does gaunt mean?
0: A good question. Let's look that up really quick. Lean and Hager. Okay. Especially because of suffering, hunger or age
1: oh no he's aging so yeah he's letting himself go in sydney north carolina 1979 more than a dozen residents in plano texas saw a creature described as 10 feet tall with pointed ears cross a football field with just a few strides like those taken by an astronaut on the moon which just really gives me the creeps and that's all i have on this whirlwind tour across a small part of the globe for spring Jack.
0: Okay, I do want to add just a bit more that happened in London. I've kept this separate just because I could only find one source. I couldn't get it corroborated, so I wanted to make sure it was separate from everything else. An author by the name of Sharon C. McGovern on the website The Cobra's Nose added a little bit to the spring Jack lore, which I find interesting, but again, I couldn't corroborate it. So, we talked about the first sightings of Springhill Jack being in 1837. Well, she actually claims that the first sightings of Springhill Jack took place in 1808, when a letter to the editor of the Sheffield Times recounted how years ago a famous ghost walked and played many pranks in the historic neighborhood. The writer went on to identify this entity as the park ghost or Springhill Jack and briefly described its ability to take enormous leaps and frighten random passers by, but concluded he was a human ghost as he ceased to appear when a certain number of men went with guns and sticks to test his skin. The last sighting in 1904 in England wasn't the only one. It does appear that at least some people have reported seeing him. In Sheffield in 1979, residents of Addercliff began to complain about a red-eyed prowler who grabbed women and punched men. Which is very different for him. He usually slaps, so this might be a different one.
1: Yeah, this one seems more aggressive.
0: Other witnesses saw him bounding between rooftops and walking down the sides of walls. As in the old days, a group of armed men, police this time, chased and nearly trapped him, but he vanished into thin air and disappeared from the area. Years later, in 1986, a former British Army officer named Marshall was in South Herefordshire riding, presumably on a bicycle, on a quiet country road near the Welsh border. Motion in the fields to his left drew his attention and he was astonished to see a man leaping over hedgerows in a single bound. The man reached the road and slapped Marshall hard enough to knock him to the ground and leave red handprints on his face for hours. And the most recent sighting of Springheel Jack comes from an elementary school in West Surrey. Children only saw him there, but they described him as all black with red eyes and had a funny all-in-one white suit with badges on it. They also said he could run as fast as a car and would approach dark-haired children and tell them, I want you, which is... (laughs) just really creepy oh no i also didn't get a year on that one unfortunately this wasn't cited that well so i couldn't really corroborate anything but i wanted to add them just because it added some yeah. to it and at least one of those really did the slapping justice
1: yeah the one where he slaps him right off his feet
0: yeah anyhow what the hell actually was this event that is Springheel jack Well, overall, Springheel Jack was widely considered not to be a supernatural creature, but rather one or more persons with a macabre sense of humor. The idea matches the content of the letter to the Lord Mayor, which accused a group of young aristocrats as the culprits after an irresponsible wager. And in fact, a popular rumor circulating as early as 1840 pointed to an Irish nobleman, the Lord Marquess of Waterford, as the main suspect. Haining suggested this may have been due to him having previously bad experiences with women and police officers, which is why you would slap them. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that gets you to Newfoundland in like the early 1900s, but we'll worry about that later.
1: There is a jumping competition.
0: The Marquess was frequently in the news in the late 1830s for drunken brawling, brutal jokes and vandalism, and was said to do anything for a bet. His irregular behavior and his contempt for women earned him the title The Mad Marquis. And it is also known that he was in the london area by the time the first incident took place in 1880 he was named as the perpetrator of e cobham brewer who said that the marquess used to amuse himself by springing on travelers unaware to frighten them and from time to time others have followed his silly example in 1842, the Marquess married and settled in Curraghmore House, County Waterford and reportedly led an exemplary life until he died in a rioting accident in 1859. Skeptical investigators have asserted that the story of Springhill Jack was exaggerated and altered through mass hysteria, a process in which many sociological issues may have contributed. That one seems to make sense. is really just something that was over embellished at the start, uh, which led to some uh, mass hysteria stories, which kind of just creates a cycle to what happened. Mm-hmm. And especially when you already have something to lean back on, you can embellish the story and then also look back on that story to see what was to take place. So. At the end of the day, I think with these mania sightings, that's really what happens a lot of the time, although it always makes that first story kind of unexplained. Yeah. Oh, and something I wanted to talk about at this point too, this really reminds me of the Metal Man of Falkville, which we talked about in Sentient Pants and Metal Men. And if you remember that, it was a man in basically a tinfoil astronaut suit Mm -hmm. that looked totally fake. But at the end of the day, he ran as fast as a car and then jumped like ten feet in the air to get away.
1: <gasps> Do you think it was spring Hill Jack?
0: There was no slapping and there was okay. no flames sprouting, so rules it yeah. Up. But at the same time like that the only thing that really does truly connect all of them is jumping more than 10 feet in the air basically
1: yeah and like maybe he was trying to start a new life but he can't help how fast he runs
0: yeah and also totally not talked about anywhere but i'm just going to push this forward anyways jack the ripper also from england shares a first name with spring jack if you assume that jack is the first name of each because jack could be spring jack's last name with spring being his first name jack the ripper there is at least one theory on jack the ripper that he ended up moving to the new world and settled down in chicago and became the prolific serial killer H. H. holmes at that time mm-hmm. which does give him an alibi to moving from england to Ah. the new world to establish his jumping feats there as well
1: but why would even
0: that the first name is the same
1: that would give him away not really i guess not it wouldn't give him away but that like nobody was like this is suspicious now hh holmes is here and spring jack
0: i know but at the same time (laughs) can't put him in the same place
1: same first name first name last name
0: no it's hh holmes now
1: yeah but jack last name the ripper Spring-Heeled, last name Jack. An
0: uncomfortable truce, I agree. Probably the inventors of basketball did in fact hear the tales of Spring-Heeled Jack and say, I am impassioned now to create a sport. That will profile this man's abilities. Yeah. One of the lesser known feats of his. Nobody out there is saying Jack the Ripper and Springheel Jack are the same person, but Journey to the Fringe is. Yeah.
1: So. I mean, all the evidence is there. Jack, Jack.
0: Yeah. Jack, Jack. I mean, they could have settled on any name, and they settled on Jack.
1: Yeah, it was a very popular name at the time. I think all the That's- men were named Jack.
0: Yeah, which is also why the police could never catch him, is because he jumped away. And really, he just lost his penchant for slapping, started murdering people. And then he left and said, you know what, maybe I'll just go back to slapping a little bit. Enter a competition could, every now and then.
1: I could see that. Like, I could see slapping escalating to... I mean, it depends on the person.
0: But to finish off, there's also the people who follow the more paranormal explanations that have been proposed, including that he was an extraterrestrial entity with a non-human appearance and feature, such as retro-reflective red eyes and phosphorus breath, and superhuman agility, driving from life on a high-gravity world. With his jumping ability and strange behaviors.
1: No. High gravity world wouldn't make him jump that high here.
0: Yeah, your muscles would be equipped to push <gasps> oh, you at high, high gravity, yeah, okay. Not low I gravity. Get it. Yeah.
1: Okay, now I get it all.
0: It's like us going to the moon.
1: I was thinking of someone going from the moon and coming here, and I was like, no, that would not work.
0: There's also the theory that he was a demon, accidentally or purposefully summoned to this world by practitioners of the occult, or who made himself manifest simply to create spiritual turmoil, which does explain why he's kind of popping up all over the European world.
1: Flapping people.
0: And lastly, 14 authors, particularly Lauren Coleman and Jerome Clark, list Springheel Jack in a category named Phantom Attackers, with another well known example being the Mad Gasser of Mattoon. Typical phantom attackers appear to be human and may be perceived as prosaic criminals, but may display extraordinary abilities as in Springheeled Jack's jumps, which it is widely noted would break the ankles of a human who replicated it, or cannot be caught by authorities. Mm. Victims commonly experience the attack in their bedrooms, homes, or other seemingly secure enclosures, which doesn't actually apply to most of Spring Jack's encounters at all. They may report being pinned or paralyzed, or on the other hand, describe a siege in which they fought off a persistent intruder or intruders. Many reports can readily be explained psychologically, most notably as the old Hague phenomenon, recorded in folklore and recognized by psychologists as a form of hallucination. In the most problematic cases, an attack is witnessed by several people and substantiated by some physical evidence but the attacker cannot be verified to exist so that's where we're gonna leave it chelsea what do you think jack the ripper
1: Mm, i don't know if i'm sold on jack the ripper but i do think some of these savings do have some substance to it i think other ones don't but we have to include them all I think there's some really cool really weird ones and then I think people just ran with it as well just mass hysteria I think but that being said I do think that there was something out there I don't think it was Jack the Ripper unless like it just started innocently enough like a nice little hobby like you put on a helmet you put on your leotard put on your pointy ears and you just go out and jump out of alleys and slap people put
0: those flames in your mouth if he had only slapped people like jumped around and slapped people man his stories would be so epic
1: and then like he was like yeah like i can't get enough of scaring and slapping people and then eventually it just escalated into killing people and disemboweling them but then you could never go back to slapping i just feel like
0: uncomfortable truths i do have to disagree with you on that in that spring jack can't be the inventor of basketball just because a canadian invented basketball and we can't have the british stealing any canadian inventions
1: canadians know that because of the canadian commercial that showed we invented basketball
0: part of our heritage
1: <laughs> it is its It was a Heritage Moment commercial.
0: (laughs) And that guy did not jump off the ground once in that episode. That was a part of it, because he had to use the broom to get the basketball out of the peach basket. Get the
1: basketball out of the peach basket, yep. In Canada, do we have peach baskets? Where the hell did we get a peach basket from?
0: Kelowna, where we have peaches.
1: I also feel like Jack the Ripper. Everyone thinks that he's such a real guy, but no one actually saw him. Whereas Spring Jack had so many witnesses. I think there's and could tell us what he was wearing. He was wearing a helmet. He was wearing leotard. He was
0: wearing a bullock skin. Yeah, but.
1: Oh, we just tied in the bullocks, something, whatever he was wearing. Most of his
0: victims still had skin okay, and were prostitutes wished. that were female. So,
1: and nobody like didn't see Jack the Ripper bounce away. I don't know. I go back and forth. I think there was some paranormalness to him, but I guess we'll never know. I, I didn't come across any modern day.
0: There was that one, and I just don't know what happened. Like the most recent sighting that that one author put because she didn't put a year on it. Could have been the future. It could have been the
1: future. Yeah. Like it's going to happen a few weeks. But time. it's
0: like most paranormal phenomenons. We're all looking at it retrospectively. Chelsea, any final thoughts on Spring Jack?
1: No. I think we encapsulated it perfectly. Oh, good. Couldn't have changed a thing. And
0: with that, I think we're going to leave you and jump on to the next topic that we will be talking about next week. We haven't talked about what it will be, but uh I'm sure we'll have a flash of ideas that'll occur or, uh, something along those lines. Anyhow, I'm done incorporating words that we just used. I have been Taylor here with Chelsea talking about spring Jack and those flashy moves he's got and those slapsy slaps.
1: Slappity slaps.
0: Yeah. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. If you have liked what you have listened to, please like, share, subscribe, or follow depending on what